You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome to another fabulous episode of Dear Multi-Hyphenate. I am your host, Michael Kushner, and I'm so glad you're joining me. Thank you, as always, to the Broadway Podcast Network, and thank you to you for listening. Where would I be without my audience? Please, you could do one more thing for me, that is subscribe, comment, rate, do all that good stuff. Follow on Instagram at Dear Multi-Hyphenate. And uh, if you want to be on the podcast, you can go to DearMultiHyphenate.com and submit your multi-hyphenate story and maybe you'll come on the podcast. That would be so fun. I love hearing from you. I'm so excited uh, about this uh, episode, but before we jump into Danny Stoller, I got a little mock-up of my soon-to-be-released book, How to Be a Multi-Hyphenate in the Theater Business, Conversations, Advice, and Tips from Dear Multi-Hyphenate, which is getting published by Rutledge Publishing uh, and will of the Taylor and Francis group and will be released this year. I'm so excited to share it with you. I'm super proud of it. It writing a book is very hard. <laughs> but um there's some good there's some good stuff in there. And I'm starting to see what it's gonna look like and it's so exciting. And I got to thinking, I was like, you know, I have my why statement. I, I know why I do what I do, but I was like why do I specifically do this podcast or this book? And it's like, I, I'm so inspired by my professor, Cynthia Henderson at Ithaca College, who always tied uh, art and acting into something metaphysical or, or mathematical. And I was thinking, and I was just like, for every way there is to create art, for every option, there are multiple possibilities. It's like a deck of cards, right? Like, I think no matter how, no matter, there's so, there's 52 cards in a deck, right? And I think that equals, you can never have the same, there's so many options for the order in which the cards can go that it's almost physically impossible for the card to ever be, for the cards to ever be shuffled in the same way. And I feel that's the same way about multi-hyphenating. I feel... It's, you know, there's so, there are infinite possibilities of how you can be a theater artist. And that's why I do what I do is to showcase those stories to inspire you to make sure that you can find a lucrative, successful, unique way of approaching theater artistry and that you can pay your bills any which way you want to and have it and have that income just based solely on your artistry. It's possible. Um, Not only do I do it, but every guest I bring on does it. So if you're questioning yourself, if if you don't think you can do it, the answer is you absolutely can. You absolutely can. So keep listening, and I hope in every episode you listen to, there's something you take away with it. Anyway, moving on to Danny Stoller. I'm so, so, so excited for you to get to know her. Danny Stoller is a DC-based theater artist. Danny Stoller is an actor, playwright, and podcaster and Jewish advocate in Maryland by way of Brooklyn, New York. She has performed all across the DMV, which in this episode you'll hear her say is the DC, Maryland, and Virginia theater areas, from the Folger Shakespeare Company to the Kennedy Center. Her play, Easy Women Smoking Loose Cigarettes, had its premiere at the Tony Award-winning Signature Theater in Sherlington, Virginia, and was featured in the New York Times at the beginning of the pandemic. Her upcoming play, The Joy That Carries You, co-written with Awa Salseka, is opening this May at the Only Theater Center. When she's not writing, she hosts the podcast Zen and Sugar, which is centered on intuitive eating, balance, and healing, disordered food, and body relationships. Follow her on Instagram at Danny Dangerous Stoller or her website, dannystoller.com. 
I hope you enjoyed this episode. Danny is an absolute dream. And if you do have a, um, a, a, a sensitivity to curse words, I'm just going to um, tell you that we do curse a lot in this episode. So <laughs> enjoy. Hi, Danny Stoller. Hi. I'm hello. So, I'm so happy you're here. I'm so happy to be here. So what did you, okay, you traveled from D.C. to I be did. in the city. I did. To talk on this podcast. Yes. But also. But also. To celebrate your birthday. I know. Isn't that fucking crazy? How old are you now? 34. How's it feel? Um, I guess because the past two years were in fucking pandemic. Can I curse? Yeah. Okay. Okay. We're in pandemic. I uh, you know, you just kind of feel like, did 32 and 33 happen? The pandemic has certainly changed me energetically. Like before the pandemic, before the pandemic, I was so, um, I got my energy from other people. Like I really depended on other people to get, to give me energy. Yeah. And now I'm literally like the couch is what gives me energy. I'm like, oh, th- this looks really comfy it looks comfy <laughs> and safe yeah whiskey was giving me energy for a second <laughs> a little too much energy needed to figure that out yes but you know it, we all i think leaned on different things at the at the beginning um it's, yeah it's so true uh, yeah so you are i think one of the more talented people that i've ever met in my life that's very sweet we did much ado about nothing together we did and that's how i like first saw your absolute brilliance at ithaca (laughs) college and i just remember watching you and being like you take unapologetic risks and are just so you understand the assignment, I oh, think. Thank you. Every time I see you perform, I haven't seen you perform in a second live, but <laughs> I remember just you taking unapologetic risks, and they were all appropriate and thank you part of the show. And I just learned so much from watching you. That means so much. You're so welcome, and I feel like you carry that energy of you as a performer into your artistic life. I hope to. So what are your hyphens? How would you how would you identify? Oh gosh. Well, I mean, you know, it's a funny thing, right? Because I think actor was sort of my first um hyphen, right? Mm-hmm. Like I was like, I'm an actor. And then uh slowly but surely, uh not that I don't love acting, I do. I think that there's just sort of this sense of um the things that I love about acting I love the community and the camaraderie and the creation, the collaboration, all of the C words. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and cunt. And cunt, <laughs> uh, which, you know, I think is, uh, you know, you and I both also went to French Woods, mm-hmm. which is crazy. But it's, you know, you kind of create these um, rep companies right. um, mm-hmm. of people. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, was always the thing that really excited me was just having a group and you were constantly moving into new roles, into new places. And I think part of the reason that I love DC and, and Maryland and Virginia, the DMV, is because it kind of is like one giant rep company mm. um, because it is these these three areas. Um, I was about to say three states, but maybe one day, DC. Um, you know, because it's these three areas put together, we kind of have people doing all different types of things at all different types of theaters, right. working at bigger, bigger houses like the Shakespeare Theater Company and then working at some of the smaller houses and just and everywhere in between. And um, I find that to be very exciting mm-hmm. that, you know, you're you're in this sort of group performance space uh, which can you know be a blessing and a curse too because it's like you know there's sometimes a lack of of newness at at moments because you're with the same people all the time which can you know it's it's like being on a sitcom I assume for years and years and years um but I I I really love that anyway so hyphens uh so (laughs) a lot of open windows yeah sorry 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 no 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 for both of us yeah yeah so like uh, you know actor was my thing but I started to realize that what I really loved more was the creation Mm -hmm. process and I had always been a writer and so um I really began kind of hustling a bit more with with playwriting and so it kind of becomes uh actor playwright 
I, I, I'm an integrative nutrition health coach, so I work with people uh, to heal disordered eating through holistic modalities, not like anti-vax modalities, right. like <laughs> like we talk, uh, like like ways of, of, of working through uh, disordered eating, which is different from eating disorders. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I guess in the past two years, advocacy has gone really through i hate to use the term activist because i'm bored by it because i feel like it's influencership via you know being put upon but um you know advocacy in terms of uh being a, a a jewish person has has become kind of surprisingly present in my life it's be, it's been amazing to follow you on social media and to watch um again something unapologetic i oh. think again whatever you do is unapologetic to me and <laughs> as jews we shouldn't be apologetic about amen the things that you know talking about yeah yeah this is now gonna okay let's talk about this should we go yeah into it? yeah let's go in what do we think about jewish representation in theater tv and film I, I do get, I get asked this a lot uh, on social media, you know, is it okay for non-Jews to play Jews? And I believe, yes. Me too. That it is okay for that. Um, I believe that it is also, though, important to have Jews playing, for example, what was the Ruth Bader Ginsburg movie where they had like the most Anglo- Felicity Jones and I was like her Jewishness is part of of the character and it's like Felicity Jones and Army Hammer the two you know waspiest yeah and and especially when it's um I read this article uh where it talked about sort of the fact that when we have a Jewish female or male love interest and they look not Jewish at all not that we have like an idea of what Jewish looks like but when there's a very much an idea of you know a, a, a sort of uh, just European standard of beauty if that makes any sense yeah. you know and it can feel a little bit um, we want to make sure that we're actually seeing you know uh, people portray those characters who who are those characters however you know when you're in a space like a regional theater house you know i've played christian people before i've played all types of people so i i think it's about who can tell the story best when it's in a big arena like broadway or television and you have a huge budget and you can cast from a very big pool i would hope that you would be looking to to people who actually are that I think it starts I think that I love what you said and I do agree with with all of that I think you can absolutely a non-Jew can absolutely play a yeah Jew, 100% I agree I think it what it boils down is to Jew face and Sarah Silverman talks about this a bunch sure for me Jew face is the where's Micah filth the fish I'm just gonna speak like this because that's, that's Jewish that's Jewish <laughs> Let me complain. Yeah. Where's my schnoz? You know what I mean? And just like this weird, but Randy Graff, who is a uh, um, Tony, the Tony City of Angels, Angels. Mm -hmm. was a uh, guest on Dear Multi-Hyphenate. And she was talking about Brooklyn on the Thames and how it was a, a group of women from Brooklyn that wanted to sound smarter than their parents and their families so they spoke very clearly and aspirated and that's my family we have this like jewish accent that is very kind of clearer than the typical you know yenta stereotypical yeah 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 yeah. and there's so much nuance that goes into a jewish character a jewish person you would hope if it i mean you know you would hope that it was written with nuance. And I, then... We would hope it would be written with nuance. <laughs> so here's the thing. I go, as long as you're not, as long as it's not a history piece, like for me, Fiddler or a, or a, uh, or a, a story based on a person. Yeah. I think if it was like something like Fiddler or there was a, um, a different show about the, you know, the exodus of the <laughs> sure. turn of the century, I would like to see that portrayed by Jews. 
um, especially that something that has to do with our, you know, the stereotype of Jewish people is that we are anxious, but that anxiety comes with the constant misplace of our people mm-hmm. constantly being pushed out. Where are we going to live next? Where are we going to be? How are we going to have food? How are we going to take yeah. care of our families? And that is carried down to us. Totally. Um, so while it is, it can be a funny thing, it's actually brought on to us from, history yeah. well we deal with uh with with it in humor i i believe of course um you know that's sort of i think that's that's not just uh you know synonymous with jewish people i think many people deal with uh anxiety through humor i think you know but here's the other thing that i i find interesting is that there are people who aren't jewish but just feel inherently jewish and uh, I, of course, because I'm a Jewish person, did the Diary of Anne Frank uh, years ago. I was not Anne. I was Margot. Um, and <laughs> it was so great. Um, <laughs> I'm <sure you> <laughs> and um, uh, the people who were in the family, uh, there were only like two Jews in the cast. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even realize that there were people who weren't Jewish in the cast until like later. I mean, this is kind of a... <laughs> I'm looking right into the camera. But like <laughs> there was a guy who did a... Um, a lot of can I say something really nasty on here go for it I there was a guy who did a lot of plays at Jewish like at at theaters that I thought was Jewish I thought he was Jewish and I did not know that he was not Jewish until we were fucking great and then I was like oh you know what I mean so sometimes you're like I don't know I I can't tell that's the other thing is I think that like you know you're like oh well are you not (laughs) (laughs) Um, um, but I you know I think that that's another thing and I think another thing when we talk about that is that and this is something that's very important to me is that throughout all conversations about Jewishness uh, Jews of color get written out of the conversation Mm -hmm. so quickly in terms of what does a Jew look like where is a Jew from Mm -hmm. what is a Jew's connection to anything Mm -hmm. Um, and so there's this this write out of that and uh, what's exciting is to see plays being written by Jews of color, mm-hmm. which shines a light on on the incredible, you know, uh, expanse of mm-hmm. Jewish people. Like, you know, people think of Jew, they think of white mm-hmm. Ashkenazi Jew. They mm-hmm. don't think of Sephardi or Mizrahi or Swana or Beta Israel or Ibo. We don't think of that that mm-hmm. way. And um, those stories are just as important. And uh, I think that it's a, it's a super necessary part of the conversation on many levels, mm-hmm. uh, especially in the artistic realm, when we think about the stories of Jewish people, um, highlighting Jews that are not, it cannot be like, well, the only thing that has ever happened to Jews was the Holocaust and that's it. Right. Um, not that that's not something we should be focusing on. Of course, we have to keep teaching that. But there's also lots of other um, stories and history of our people. And, and I think that's really important. So. Thanks for sharing that, Danny. Yeah, I I completely agree with you. I mean, we're cool. we're much we're more than the Holocaust. We're more than challah bread. We're you know what I mean. We're it's, more than stuffed German gefilte fish. Yeah, not much more. But not much little. more. <laughs> but there's so many stories that we have to offer, especially you know Jews of color. You know, yeah, not not erasing them. And so that being said, that trails sort of into like the next conversation that I have regarding like multi-hyphenating is the fact that like yeah because you're a writer because we're both writers i don't write plays i write you know books, books. and and you know articles and yeah stuff like entire that. things yeah yeah things but um we have the power to center these conversations mm-hmm. so how for you as a writer in this industry how do you take what we're talking about and start to Put it in front of... What a beautiful segue. I feel like I, you know, it's weird because you don't know what the next play that I'm doing is about. And yet at the same time, I'm like, wow, did you like research? Uh, so uh, my very good friend, Awa and I, Awa Salseka, everyone look her up because her voice is incredible. Her writing is incredible. Everything about her is incredible. Um, she uh, and I wrote a play together called The Joy That Carries You, which is about an Ashkenazi white Jewish family and a black Baptist family coming together uh, around Thanksgiving because we were like, well, this isn't easy. Like we find it funny to write a comedy about something that is is, is at times a, a difficult and historied relationship. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, the idea came to me and 
I knew that there was no way that I, I didn't have the chutzpah, and I'm meaning that in the way of like, you know, the not the the way that we use it now where it's like chutzpah is a good thing but like chutzpah being like oh that's a little uh, uh you know what i mean yes um uh, the gall yeah i didn't have the gall to to think oh well i can write this story alone of course i can write this story alone i can write this right um there's no fucking way so i called how i said i have this idea you want to write it with me? And she she said yes, which was amazing and, and incredible because she was one of those people who was working through the pandemic when you're like, God, how are you? She's performing still. Um, and then we uh, got in touch with Only Theater Center and we were like, we've got this play. Do you, do you want to play with it? And they said yes. And so it's going up in May. Wow. And what's really exciting is, is that we are now kind of uh, – consistently setting up the room so that everyone is um, represented in the sense that like uh, our directors, it's co-directed. So Jason Loweth, the artistic director of Only Theater Center, who is an Ashkenazi Jewish man. And then Kevin McAllister, who you might know from Carolina Change yeah. recently, yeah. is also directing it. So wow. they are directing it together. Awa and I are working on it mm. together. So it's just building up this like, I mean, I, I'm really excited about it. I think it's going to be really cool, and, and, and it's just a great group. I think so many regional theaters, first of all, in, in my book, How to Be Multi-Hyphenate in the Theater Business, Conversations, mm-hmm. Advice, and Tips from Your Multi-Hyphenate, uh, being published by Rutledge Publishing in 2022, <laughs> uh, which you are featured in. Thank Yay. you, Danny Stoller, for uh, taking the time to talk to me about that. Of course. That. Um, I had my friend Aaron Gross talk to me. I asked him about socially responsible artistry mm-hmm. because I think socially responsible artistry is like um, is making sure artists are paid, decentering whiteness, things like that. But he made a really interesting point about socially responsible artistry, like hiring and using artists from the area in which you are doing the work. A fucking man. So I think what you are doing, not only is it like a responsible way of the this co-directing, co-writing. Thank you. It's you're also using local artists. That's the thing I also I I really admire about certain theaters in the DMV is mm-hmm. their commitment to bringing in local talent. Um, you know, I I think that we have a beautiful group of people there. Mm-hmm. And of course, sometimes you have to bring in people from out of town. But I, I really do admire theaters who who make a really diligent effort, strong effort to utilize the people of that area to tell the stories in the area. I think that's really important and really awesome. I think that's incredible i think that's yeah. really awesome we're going to take a quick break yeah we're going to hear from our sponsors Ooh. and then we're going to continue this conversation cool and we're back yay <laughs> you know i think a lot of continuing the conversation about the socially responsible artistry and and these types of things like i think a lot of theaters cry poverty in terms of well we can't hire that many people we can't hire two directors. We can't hire two writers. We can't hire a uh, a this, a that, yeah, yeah. someone to make this space safer. And what what do you feel about that? Because I think it's BS. It's totally BS. <laughs> I think um, I I have to say I I feel quite fortunate, and maybe it's because the the DMV is so small. That if a theater is not uh, willing to make the shifts, that is quite known. Mm. Um, and of course, you know, there is that sort of thing, though, of like still wanting to work. Actors are still, of course, at the at the, the bottom of the totem pole in terms of being yeah. like, I need to work. So right. like I'm willing to debase, um, but which sucks sometimes. But mm-hmm. I will say that uh, I feel very fortunate that in the DMV, the, the theaters that I, I have been working with um, have really taken the time to make concerted efforts to create safer spaces, whether it's hiring full-time intimacy coordinators mm-hmm. or hiring full-time, you know, EDIA uh, liaisons, 
that's exciting to me. And to hear about the initiatives is exciting to me. And to, you know, um, you know, I, I had been uh, helping out as a literary, just like over pandemic, mm-hmm. helping, you know, read scripts and write up things for a theater. And they said, and I thought this was great. They were like, hey, we love that you're doing this. Just so you know, when we put out the, you know, the call for this, we're looking for people of color, mm-hmm. specifically because we want to make sure that we're telling different stories, we're bringing in different art, and we're creating a different... Uh, this theater is actually going uh, to 50-50, if not more. They want to create an equal, equitable playing field in right. terms of their artistry. And I think that that's really fucking awesome to be like, this is what we're going for, and mm-hmm. this is what we want, the world we want to create. And that makes me very, very proud to be a, a DCer. I love that. Um, yeah. So when did you... Um... Because one of my favorite things about multi-hyphenating and working with younger kids and, you know. Yes, I, I love I was, that shit. Yeah, I um, was just at Florida Thespians. Yes, and yes. After a very, very, very uh, rewarding week, I was, you know, having a theater full of uh, the youth drama kids in Florida chanting gay, gay, oh. gay in response to, you know, don't say gay. Yeah was emotional and i think we got just as much out of it as they did yeah 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 but um you know i as i teach i'm teaching these workshops and stuff i I love watching their minds get blown yeah man the fact that they all think that and i think it has to do with the stereotype the the mothers and the fathers and the parents and the guardians going well you know this is very hard you're gonna have to go up there and wait tables and blah 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 and it's like well, they, you actually don't. And you also don't have to go to New York. You do not have to go to New York. You don't have to go to L.A. You don't have to go to New York. You don't have to go to L.A. <laughs> yeah, no. You can go to other cities. Go wherever. <laughs> that are doing just as much. Yes. If not more. There's a lot of cool stuff. There's a lot of really- Especially in the non-equity realm sometimes. Oh. Especially if you're looking to build your resume. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? If you're looking for, for, for that. I think that's a very exciting thing that, you know- theaters that are are still reviewed by the post and still reviewed by you know all of the the normal publications uh that are are non-union theaters you know they're treated in the same regard i think that's really exciting and a great way to sort of get your foot in and and you know earn your bones to earn use some mafia <laughs> terms pay your dues yeah no, man <laughs> i mean paying your dues is such an interesting thing right because like i I've been in the industry 22 years as a child actor, so I feel like I have this old school view of the industry that is sometimes very hard to shake. Me too. Like the term paying your dues. I remember I had an artistic director sit me down once. It was an intern in college um, in between one of my two years in college, and it was a a, um, regional theater. And basically the paper that I had to sign as the intern was like, you will do whatever we tell you to do. And I was like, and I was desperate to get my EMC points. Like I was like, I, I you know, because yeah. back then it was very important. Mm-hmm. It still is now, but it, that's a different conversation. It's, it's important for other reasons and <laughs> yes. the accessibility is different. But <laughs> I remember being in rehearsals for shows and the tech director would come and yank me out of rehearsal. And the director would be like, Michael's, Michael's learning his song that that he has to do in the show. And the tech director is like, I don't care. I need my set built. And as the intern, there was this like constant push and like pull thing that was not ironed out well on just like communication at all in the Ugh. theater. But I remember when I... Um, Yuck. Yeah. Technical difficulty with Gabe. Hey. Say hi, Gabe. Hello. That's hi. my social media director, Gabe. If you're looking for a social media director, someone to run and design your social That's media, your hire Gabe. Gabe Crawford. He'll knock over your camera, but he'll run your social media well. <laughs> um, so, you know, I I was like, okay, I'm going to sit down with the artistic director and I'm going to talk about this and just be like, okay, this can't happen. I'm feeling yeah, like, yeah. very overwhelmed and put in situations that I don't feel safe in. And I remember she just looked at me and said, you just have to pay your dues. And it was like, uh, yeah, there's, okay? <laughs> there's that sort of, um, it was a really interesting 
thing when you know uh, a lot of the, uh, the theater that I'm working at I'm about to start working at is now doing five day weeks oh wow and it's fucking crazy to mm-hmm. be like what or like the last the uh, I did uh, the Thanksgiving play and we did not have 10 out of 12s and I was like this you know everyone's getting really like soft like nobody knows how to do this anymore right. and I'm like well wait a minute like our mental health is actually probably much more intact I think there was a sort of um sense of glory I think of it like when uh Sorry, this is so gross, but whatever. Like when you lost your virginity yes. and you're talking to non-virgins and you're like, it really does hurt. Like eventually it gets better, but it's like it so fucking painful. I remember it well. And like, you know, you feel like really cool being able to tell other people like, right. don't worry, like it's going to suck for you though. <laughs> I feel like that's what like, it's like. Like review at Ithaca College. <laughs> I, truly. <laughs> I think that's the same thing with like, well, I got through it that way. And now you're going to get through it that way. Mm. You're going to get through it with 10 out of 12s. You're going to get through it with like no sleep. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. You know, I had to work in a space that was filled with asbestos. And it was like, just because we had to do that doesn't mean that it's a necessity to keep it going that way because now you finally don't have to deal with it because you're up here. And now you can look and be like, oh, remember when? You know, I find that to be very, and I think that's a kind of, that works in the political realm too because I think there's sort of this idea of like, well, in my day, this is how politics worked. And it's like, cool, but like in your day, people were asking, like saying that smoking was good. So right. like, give me a fucking break. And so I think it's the same with theater. I think that there needs to be sort of this idea of just because it might be uncomfortable because it's new doesn't mean that it's a, a bad thing and doesn't mean that we're losing part of what theater was. You know, theater is also a job. I mm-hmm. think so often we think that it has to be our lifeblood. And mm-hmm. it's like, no, this is also a job. It's mm-hmm. a piece of you, you know. I'm actually a little obsessed with that because oh, it directs it, 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 it. The correlation, it has to do with multi-hyphenating yes because so many people are like you know you have to choose one thing i don't know what you mean i had to choose one thing we we pay we pounded the pavement we i was in line every day uh, making sure the blah 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 getting in front of casting director was like yeah i do that too but i also rely on my other talents to make me money so i don't have to yeah and also like what about your interests like just what about your fucking interests like i've had a fucking baking blog and a business i was a personal trainer i you know i think we have to figure out all of these different things that fill our buckets Mm -hmm. and i also i i i think there's something so exciting i personally love watching people who like our content creators on Instagram or TikTok because I'm like, this is so incredible to me. Like there's that person, Julian Cookies, who does all of the, you know, reenactments of like TV shows and stuff and does them in full costume and full makeup. It's incredible to me. And this person obviously took a lot of fucking time Mm -hmm. to do this and Mm -hmm. create this. And that's how they built sort of their own space. I think that that's really exciting we should all be building our own our own spaces and and stories etc especially if we're having trouble carving out a space for ourselves in the conventional sense mm-hmm. um or to bolster our egos enough to keep us trying to carve out that space because eventually it's like oh well you know what i'm just gonna go get a normal people job and you know I think, you know, with the industry, we ha- we're he- we hear incredible stories of like, you know, I was a hoofer. Yes. And you're pounding the pavement and all, you know, listening to the lyrics of Broadway Baby. Mm. You know what I mean? Those those very uh, of its time lyrics. Yeah. And also just like New York, New York. Of like course. just the song. And we can have those things, but... I think that you also don't have to struggle while you're finding those things. Yeah. You don't have to live in one room with seven other people. (laughs) You don't have to. You could also like take that energy and like create like a little side business that you can still operate when you book your Broadway show. Yes. So that way the momentum is still carrying on when you, when that show closes. Yeah. I think it's also about like, you know, um, 
I, I don't know if, and maybe you can relate to this. I don't know if that's, that's, this is a crazy sentiment, but for myself anyway, I think for a long time I was worried that if I got my mental health and spiritual health in check, then I would lose the things that made me a really good artist. Yes. Like, I want to be fucking messy. I'm messy. I'm so messy. So oh, my messy. God. <laughs> <laughs> and that I would not be able to do my job if I wasn't completely fucked up. Uh-huh. And I think that, you know, that that's what a true artist is. But I, 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 I think that we... We need to, that's, that's the things like we keep having to remember that it's a job. It is a job. And like, we, we still need to bring our mental health in there. There is no point in coming in and like sending ourselves like, you know, to an institution because of how, like, I, this is going to sound really crazy, but did you see House of Gucci? I haven't yet. Remy watched it on the plane down from Florida. Have you listened to any of the interviews? Yes. Well, there's a great one where Selma Hayek is sitting next to Lady Gaga <laughs> and they zoom in on Selma Hayek's face while Lady Gaga's talking because it's kind of like, what are you saying? <laughs> like, you threw away all the parts of yourself. You almost sent yourself into like a mental tailspin. You were going to have to go to like a hospital. It, th- that's, to me, not worth it. No. I don't think it's worth it and I've worked with actors on stage where it's like there are actors who are like that and then there are actors who are just like it's an on off switch and these the change in terms of their abilities is negligible sometimes it's actually the person who's got the on off switch that you're like oh they're able to adapt right they're able to work with others collaborate do you know what I'm saying of course I do um so I, I, I just all that to say like your mental health is paramount I think drinking the Kool-Aid is very harmful when you're in a – I think – That happens in college a lot though, isn't it? Oh, it definitely did. <laughs> drinking the Kool-Aid. I, I wish that there were moments – and I'm, you know, I'm still close with some of our professors and I feel like I'm much more – I'm much more honest with them now than I was in school because I was so worried about getting oh cut. Oh my God, that idea of like getting cut when it's like – anybody listening to this, theater and art is subjective. Yeah. Somebody else's fucking opinion is going to be different to somebody else's. It's yep. the same way as like when I was in school for integrative nutrition and it's like, okay, find a source, like a backed up scientific research paper on, you know, the benefits of soy. Mm-hmm. Now find the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. Now do that for dairy. Now yeah. do that for this. Now do that for this. There's always another option right. and another side. And so I think... It, when we're in this space where we are literally spending several years trying to impress the same group of people in the way that they want their art made, if anything, it stymies us from learning how to make our own art or realizing that this world is a lot bigger. Mm-hmm. We end up just creating the same type of people to go out and do the same type of things, which, you know, whenever I teach master classes or I teach any sort of thing with with students i always say the things about you that you hate about yourself are the things that are going to make you the money and are going to make you stand out you know the things that like when you get home from a party and like even silence feels loud and you're sitting there and like going over all the things that you did that you just wish you could fucking kill yourself about yeah those are the moments where it's like that's where your art lives. That's where, not because you're sad, but because like all the things that are too much about you are the things that you can harness to create with. That's beautiful. That's Danny. what I, I think. Uh, so, so, and I think sometimes college works to be like, let's knock that out of you to make yeah. you into. I showed up to, I showed up as whatever. Mikey with this Long Island Jewish accent that I was really proud of. Mm-hmm. And I had to be known as Michael and then had to talk like this now and it's how i did they make you change your name to michael yeah yeah i had to go to speech pathology too yeah and then what happens the first gig that i book the my first professional gig outside i turn my tassel drive right to my first rehearsal of the pre-broadway triad of on the town guess who's in my cast with me this guy named mikey and he's 30 you know 33 years old has all these incredible credits and uh, uh, and loved in the industry for who he, for his talent. 
and the things that he does, not because he's Mikey. Yeah, I I um <clears throat> went to so I had been told that I had to go to speech pathology because nobody would hire a Shakespeare actress who sounded like Rosie Perez, is what they said. Um, there was a there was a lot of shit that was said about about me about who I was, which was so funny about how I wasn't an ingenue, I wasn't this. Well, when I got out, the first like professional equity gigs that I got were like Shakespeare ingenues. Yeah, <laughs> you I know, like they were they were soft. They those are the things that I found that I actually do best. Oddly, mm. because I love to watch, I love to listen. It's a lot easier for me to be on stage and watch other people. And, and, and it's part of the reason I loved Margot Frank so much is because I spent the entire show right. watching. I love that. I love that sort of world. And, um, but I had been told that that's like not who you are. That's not what you do. Wow. This isn't that, you know. And uh, I just, um, like, fuck that. No, I mean, I think it's all valid because I think, you know, the things that we had to deal with with our professors. I think is a again another direct correlation to casting directors. We're auditioning constantly for this one group of people. Yeah. That just will and I'll say this, judge us mm-hmm. for what what they think is not good or not right or what should, and it's so frustrating because I go why why can't you just see past that or why can't you um it's I for me, and this is a hot take. I think a casting director's job is to actually like provide with the resources and the mm-hmm. uh, and the notes for us to help. Yeah, you know, we want to solve their. It's so funny because like I totally get this. when they teach workshops and stuff like this. Casting directors they go, we want you to su- we want you to succeed. We want you to solve our puzzles. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, well, if you want me to solve the puzzles, I can. I just really need to know that. Like when I used to do workshops and classes, I would the feedback I would get was literally, Michael, that's great. I don't have any notes. And I if I had that now, I would I guarantee you I would say. Great. So what shows are you casting that I can come in for right now? Yeah, exactly. Well, here's the thing that I find really interesting about um, this is another thing. I'm, I feel like this is becoming like a D.C., Maryland, Virginia love fest. Well, I want it to. What be- I do love about it is I know because it, we want to make sure that people know that like fucking regional theater exists. Absolutely. Is that I, you know, your casting directors, you know, your artistic directors. And a lot of the time you have developed relationships with them right so i have been able hello i have been able to literally uh several of the parts that i've gotten that have changed my life have been because i wrote and was able to write because i knew these people and said you need to see me for this Mm -hmm. i'm your girl i'm your girl yeah and i was and i think that there was that sort of gumption uh, I don't know is as appreciated in New York because there's sort of a way of things to do, way to do things. Whereas in D.C., Virginia, Maryland, you know, I always really admire when people will send me things asking about uh, shows that I'm auditioning. And also, to your point about notes, this is really important to me too. I, I've had talks with a few casting directors where I've said, now that I've been behind the table as a writer, I'm like, you have no idea how much it would mean to the people who are at least making the final call back to let them know that their work was appreciated. Yes. And so for easy women smoking loose cigarettes at Signature, I was very thankful because I asked the casting director at the time there, Kelly, we had people come in. We had people who had done readings before come in and we wound up with a cast of like all new people. And I asked her to send notes to all of them. Every single one of them just saying thank you for your time. And then I personally sent messages. I was like very much, this has to be done because I want people to know that when they come in and they leave their guts on the floor, that it's not for nothing. Right. And so often what the the difference between getting cast and not getting cast now that I've just been sitting behind the table as like either a reader or a writer is so bizarre. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes, of course, it's like, well, this is the only person who can do it, you right. know. But other times, it, it, it's it's so many different factors. You're building a family. You're building a mishpucha. You're building something that has to do with energy. Yeah. It's, you know, it's fucking wild. I love being a reader. Being a reader is my favorite thing to do. 
because I love being able to help other people yeah. get jobs. But it's fascinating to see you could have 10 different people come in and kick the shit out of a role. And then it's like because this other person came in who kicked the shit out of it for another part, well, now those energies match. Right. So that's that person has cast this person. Right. So when people are – but I, I think that it's really important, though, for the actors to know you did great work and you worked really hard and we're so thankful that you came here. I think that shift would just help mend a massive uh, wound between casting directors and actors because actors, I think, are hurting in so many different yeah. ways. Yes. Um, And I think many – and I know a lot of casting directors – and they're not gatekeepers and they're not no. bad people. No. But I think the lack of communication provides this weird um, power dynamic that appears as if it is this like masochistic experience. Well, yeah. <laughs> like... So one of my closest friends, Jenna Duncan, amazing person, also a casting director and a director, director, just across the board, wonderful, is one of my closest friends. She's going to be in my wedding. I was in hers, and she is the casting director for several theaters in D.C. Like, she is their casting director. And one year, she had to turn me down for, like, 14 jobs, <laughs> which was <laughs> which was an interesting thing because, you know, it kind of brought out this sort of area in our friendship where we sort of had to reconcile with that, talk about certain things, mm-hmm. etc. But it was an incredible thing, too, because, you know, you, you sort of – come to this realization that in the end they can give as much feedback as possible they can give as much like push but you know it's not in the end their choice specifically right um and i also wonder if if they're casting for like you know 10 different shows five different theaters etc and they're giving emails to every person saying thank you so much it can feel overwhelming in that space too i think of it kind of like you know how like if something goes really wrong at a dinner they don't even have to comp, like at a restaurant, they don't even have to comp you the dinner. Mm-hmm. They just have to say, I see you and I understand. Right. I'm so sorry that that happened. I, I, you know, tell me how I can make the rest of your night better. Right. That's all I need, really, right. I think, is just being like, thank you for coming. That was wonderful. Right. The end. You know? Yeah. Bye. You know what I mean? Just knowing that you remembered that I was there is kind of a nice feeling. <laughs> I love that, Danny. So I try to do that when people come in for my shows as well, especially when they come in and they have to read stuff where they're like hysterical or like, you know, throwing their bodies around. And I'm like, I don't want to just be like, fuck you. Yeah. I think um, that little shift is going to, will help us take the industry from pre-pandemic to post-pandemic. We talk about how the industry is changing. Compassion. I think think everyone is responsible for adjusting Mm -hmm. who they are. And how they enter a room or treat the room. Every single person. Yeah. Every person is responsible for adjusting who they are post-pandemic. Because we have collectively changed. So if we, our, speaking of more socially responsible artistry, if we uphold a position in this industry, we have to check ourselves mm-hmm. and go, the way that I was navigating the industry, is is it serving oh, myself or the world around me yeah. the same way post-pandemic? I think there's also, you know, I think that there is uh, nothing wrong with making amends. Mm-hmm. Not that everybody, I think of the Tupac quote where he talks about, you know, it's not that I don't want you to eat. I just don't want you to eat at my table. Oh. <laughs> because there are people where we have not gotten along and stuff like that. I, I think I talk about this on my own podcast about, you know, uh, God or source or the universe blessed me with both like both like a very polarizing personality and also a pathological need to be liked. Uh So that's very difficult. And sort of this realization that like a good apology goes a long way. Mm -hmm. And I think over pandemic, a friend of mine really was taught, we were talking about apologies and I was like, I want to learn to be a great fucking apologizer. Mm. Even if the other person can't take it, uh-huh. even if the other person doesn't like me afterwards, even if like my niceties fall on deaf ears, I want to be able to apologize and be truly sorry for things that I've done that are really fucked up because yeah. God, you know, if anything, this time has provided reflection and I'm like, Ugh. and of course, sometimes it sinks into self-hate, but most mm-hmm. of the time it's like, how... I want to be able to make amends so that there's this great... Okay, can I say one quick anecdote? Always. 
So there's this, I forget who it's from, but it's a Buddhist idea of if you're driving down the highway every day from your house to work and you always pass this same tree and you're just like, there's that tree on the right, there's that tree, there's that tree. And then one day you take a chance or a second to really look at the tree as if it were the first time that you've looked at this tree and you notice all these different things about the tree. You notice the way the light catches it. You know, all like notice how, you know, the branches move, etc. Um, and it becomes a completely new tree. It was something that you just passed without even like looking at it because also when your brain knows that it's going to see something, it doesn't even have to see it fully. It just like kind of puts it together in the right. side of your mind. Like this is something I drive by and so it's just kind of a pixelated thing. But now I'm giving it my focus and I'm seeing its inherent beauty, its difference. I think that's kind of how we have to look at people when we come back into this space is like we're going to be meeting people for the first time. They're going to be meeting us for the first time, really, because we are different people since then. And I think it's about giving other people grace um, and giving ourselves grace because we are going to fuck up and, and uh, you know, just having the tools in our arsenal to, to mend where we can and to be humble mm-hmm. where we can, if that makes sense. We can we can all take a step back from our egos. <laughs> oh man, coming back into this world and right? the life of theater. Golly, I think we all can do that. Danny Solar, you are the absolute you. best. I love you so much. You're the best. Um, so your new play, yes, the joy that we... carries you. Tell us more about it. Um, so it's uh, it goes up in May. Um, it's going to. I think it might be available for streaming for a little while too, but oh, I fierce. don't know about that. But I'll let you know. Uh, it goes up uh, in May through June at the Olney Theater Center. I'm so stoked. It's beautiful. It was written with Awa Salseka, as I said. It's performed by a beautiful cast. And um, yeah, that's the next the next thing, I think. And Amazing. then just, you know, the podcast and all that fucking jazz. And where can we find you on social media? At Danny Danger Stoller. Yes. Yes. I love you so much. I love you so fucking much. You're the absolute best. You're the absolute best. And thank you, Gabe, for getting yes. some of the equipment Woohoo, Gabe! Woohoo, Gabe. Sorry if that, like, fucked up the sound. No, it was perfect. Yay. And thank you to Broadway Podcast Network. Thank yes. you to Alan and Dory and Patrick and everyone there. It's, it's an incredible family of podcasters and... If you're listening, please follow me on Instagram at the Michael Kushner or at Dear Multi-Hyphenate. And if you want to share your story, you can go to DearMultiHyphenate.com and submit your multi-hyphenate experience. And maybe I'll have you on the podcast. Who knows? All right. Follow, subscribe, like, comment, and all that stuff. And be in touch. Love you all. Bye. Bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.